Well, finally, we come to uh, the end of our series on Revelation. This is chapter 21, uh, beginning in verse 1. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I looked, and I saw the new Jerusalem, the holy city, coming down out of heaven from God. She was dressed beautifully as a bride for her husband. And then I heard a voice from the throne say, Behold, the dwelling of God is with God's people, and God will be with them. God will be with them, will dwell with them, and will be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from every eye, and there will be no more death, and no more mourning, And no more crying and no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. This is from John Ortberg uh, talking about Lewis Smedes, who's a professor who's written a couple of wonderful books Uh, about forgiveness, but this comes from his ethics class. Uh, He used to ask students if they wanted to go to heaven when they died. Everyone raised their hand. And then he asked, be honest now, who would like to go right now, today, before sundown? A few raised their hands slowly, giving what they thought must be the correct answer, looking around to see if they were the only ones. They were. Most people took a rain check. They were ready to die, but Not today. Then Professor Smeads asked, Who would like to see the world we live in set straight on its hinges once and for all tomorrow? No more common colds. No more uncommon cancers. Everyone would have his day. There would be no second-class citizens. Prisoners and slaves would be free. Hungry people would have plenty. No one would lift a finger to harm another. And we would all be at peace with everyone, even with ourselves. Anybody interested in that? And every hand went up. Then he said to them, what you want is heaven. Heaven, that is what we want. Heaven, that is the reversal, the great reversal of everything that's gone wrong since the Garden of Eden. And heaven is a time when there will be no more pain and no more suffering and no more death. Every tear will be wiped away. And who wouldn't want that? A complete reversal of the way things have been. And going back to the way things were, we're told originally that in the Garden of Eden, God walked through the garden in the cool of the day, visiting with Adam and Eve who lived and worked that garden. And heaven looks forward in Revelation to a time when God is that intimate again with God's people. In fact, the only analogy John can think of of for it is marriage. A beautiful, wonderful, intimate marriage. That's what heaven would be like. A complete reversal of everything that we have experienced. And who wouldn't want that? C.S. Lewis described it this way, uh, entering to heaven would be like chapter one of a great book that no one has read, but each chapter gets better than the chapter before. And the Bible looked forward to that day. In the scriptures uh, from Revelation, there are really quotes from other scriptures today. 
In Leviticus 11, God said, uh, or Leviticus 26, God said, I will dwell with my people. And in Ezekiel 37, God said, I'll be their God, they'll be my people. Isaiah said in Isaiah 65, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. God's people, the scriptures, have long looked forward to this day when everything would be set straight, put back on its hinges. And in fact, even Paul, writing the letter to the Romans in chapter 8, said all of creation, in fact, groans. It's like a pregnant woman waiting to have the child. They're groaning, waiting for that day. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray for that day. He said, pray this way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But my sense is a lot of us are like the students in that classroom. And and when you ask about maybe it's starting before sundown, we're not really sure we want to raise our hand. I thought about that and I decided maybe there's a couple reasons for it. One is that You know, for a lot of us, our own kingdoms are working out pretty well right now. Yeah, maybe the team is winning. Job seems okay. Kids seem fairly well situated. No illness has struck the house. Kingdom, we hope, may continue. We don't really want our kingdom interrupted. The problem is, eventually, everyone's kingdom starts to totter. And there are difficulties at work. Our illness strikes the home relationships begin to struggle. It happens to every home. And the kingdom then starts to shake, and we recognize what most of the world already recognizes, which is the world's a little bit off its hinges. That's the way life is. Canadian author Mark Buchanan made this observation some years ago. He said, life really, as we experience it, is booby-trapped. I mean, it's just... It's set up to where you can't get everything you want the way you want it in this life right now. He said, I know that to be the case because Solomon tried it. Do you remember Solomon? King after David. We're told that Solomon was smarter than anybody else in the world. So he had the brains. He was a king of Israel and he also ruled other territories. He had more power than anybody else. He had more wealth than anyone else were told it. And he had more attention from the opposite sex than he had time for. He had it all. And what did Solomon say was his conclusion to having it all? In the book of Ecclesiastes, he wrote this. He said, it's all vanity. It's worthless. He said, it's like trying to catch the wind. You can't have it all. And if you had it all, it wouldn't be what you thought it was going to be. That's just how life works out. And I think sometimes we don't want God's kingdom because we're still working on ours. And we think maybe we're the ones who can make it pay. We're the ones who can line it all up ourselves. Well, good luck. You can for a while. But eventually, your kingdom starts to totter. But I think there's another reason, and this is what I think Smeeds was pointing out in the classroom. A lot of people don't want God's heaven and kingdom right now because, quite frankly, they don't want to die. Mark Twain, very ill. Uh, Mark Twain tells the story of Robert Louis Stevenson, who was very ill in the Canary Islands. And so the priest sent a message to Robert Louis Stevenson and said, I would like to visit you as one who's in danger of dying. Stevenson sent back the message and he said, you may not come to visit me, but you may come to visit me as a person in danger of living. 
None of us are all that thrilled about dying. Well, the good news is this. In God's kingdom of heaven, everything is set right. It's put back on the hinge. No more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more pain. But here's the better news, friends. You don't have to die to get there. You don't have to die to experience that kind of life. The scripture is very clear that the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. That, that's really where God wants all of this to happen and to take place. Jesus, when Jesus was preaching to the crowd, said the kingdom of God is very near you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You don't have to die for everything to be made straight. And in fact, God wants you to be a part of making things straight here on this planet. The good news is there's a great new world coming. The bad news is you don't have to die to taste it. And I know when people die, and I'm around families at death, and they'll say, well, Uncle Joe's in a better place. Yeah, but I ought to tell him he's not in the best place. It's a better place. But the best place is when the kingdom of heaven, according to Revelation 19, 20, 21, and 22, comes right smack dab back to earth. That's the best place of all in heaven as we conceive of it. It's sort of a temporary holding space until that day happens. C.S. Lewis said, people who think that heaven uh, amounts to just floating on clouds and playing harps, he said, need to grow up if they're going to read a grown-up book. And he said, growing up understands that what God wants to do is right here on earth, and eventually it will be done. And with the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, it has already begun. You can already taste, says Jesus, the life that God has for you. You can already be a part of setting the world back on its hinges. When you listen to someone, when you help someone, when you pray for someone, when you love someone, when you give, you are participating in that new heaven. You're helping it to come to pass. But it gets better. It can come to pass, not just in others, it can come to pass in you. To me, it's amazing, and I missed it for so many years, Jesus is on the throne and he says, I'm making all things new. I always heard that as, I'm making all new things. All this is a bunch of, excuse me, well, you can fill in your word, it's a bunch of nothing. And I'm going to make new stuff that's really good. I thought that's what he was saying, but he was saying, uh-uh. I'm going to take all this stuff. Your earth, your Jerusalem, your relationships, your life, and I'm going to make it new. I'm going to make it good, and I'm going to make it right. It can begin, and the promise of the Bible is it can begin today. Soren Kierkegaard in the 19th century had a great parable about this. He talked about a small uh, town um, a Catholic parish, and the altar cloth was worn out. And so the priest did a little bit of research, found out who the best seamstress in the parish was, and he asked her to make a new altar cloth for the, church, for the church's altar. And she said, oh, Father, I can never do that. I can never make anything beautiful enough for the altar of God. And he said, well, just try it. So she went out and she looked for the, the best fabric, the loveliest fabric she could possibly find, but she just couldn't find anything good enough for the altar. And the 
priest, ask her, how's it going? And she said, well, I found some fabric, but let me try again, Father. It's not beautiful enough for the altar of God. He said, start making it. Well, she did. And he asked her a couple weeks later, how's it going? And she said, well, it's going pretty well. It's almost finished, but it's not beautiful enough for the altar of God. She said, well, actually, it is finished, but let me try again. I can do better. And he said, just bring it. Now. And he sent her home. And she went home. And she had the altar cloth in a bag. She went up to the altar, took it out of the bag, placed it on the altar table, and she gasped. She exclaimed, my father, it's more beautiful than I made it. And he said, daughter, don't you understand? That's always how God does it. God takes what we have, and God always makes it more beautiful than we do. And when he does, says the book of Revelation, the kingdom of heaven has started to come to earth.